2: Elliott Shore Parks here with Matt Lombardo, the No Huddle Show. And Matt, Radio Row is officially becoming a zoo.
1: It is crowded here. There are athletes here. There are D-list celebrities here. (laughs) And I'm sure we're going to get the C, the B, and the A-list celebrities over the next few days. Um, The game's getting closer, and the action around here is certainly heating up. And it's
2: not just Radio Row. I mean, we talked earlier in the week about the setup. It's very close. Again, we're literally in a food court in the mall. So there's probably... Two, three hundred people just standing around, looking to see who's in here, taking photos. Uh, Obviously taking photos of Matt. He's been a popular (laughs) one so far. But uh, it really is getting loud. But the reality is we have a football game coming up. And outside of Radio Row, some of the uh, actual football parts of this week have started to take place. Uh, Since we recorded yesterday, we've met with the team twice. So yesterday we had Doug Peterson and then we had players at the podium. Um, And then this morning, which is Wednesday, we had all the players were available. So uh, let's first start with yesterday and kind of what happened. But I have bigger news than that, actually. Uh Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. 500. We did it. 500 500 reviews. We are at 500 reviews. Didn't take till Sunday. Nope. We did it. We're actually at 504. So we appreciate everyone that's taking the time. I read one that said they're only doing this because uh, he was only doing it because we asked him to. I know we bring it up a lot and we'll continue to do so, but we really do appreciate the feedback. It helps us out a ton. I mean, look, we're here at Radio Row. Yep. We wouldn't be on Radio Row if it wasn't for you guys listening every week. We do this. So thank you very much. So Believe
1: me, if the NFL doesn't see 400 plus reviews and they don't see our <laughs> Roger us rising Goodell up- was waiting for
2: that 500th. Yes, rising us, up yeah.
1: through the iTunes ranks and the YouTube subscription ranks and all of those things. So- this is because of you, and these podcasts are really for you so- this week. So
2: we're going to read the 500th review. It says, great pod, and this is appropriate, been listening since episode one by Philly Dreams 25. Agree or disagree with them, this is a fantastic podcast. They aren't going to just fan fluff you. They will give you actual insight, and I appreciate that. Keep up the good work, guys. And that's really what this has all been about. So we really appreciate everyone that's left the reviews. Uh, we're at 504. It'll just keep coming before Sunday. We'll have to think of our new goal. Yep. We'll set it after the Super Bowl. So thanks how again about, how everybody. How about
1: 550 by Sunday? Five fifty by kickoff.
2: Man, Matt, you are. All right. We'll I, I,
1: I am one to push the limits, and you, you know are, that.
2: You are. All right. So let's talk about football. Yep. First, actually, sorry, I keep saying this. There's just so much going on. We have four guests on the podcast today. Cornerback Sidney Jones joins us in a little bit. Uh, Eagles legend Vince Papali. <coughs> Excuse me. MMB, MMMQB writer Andy Minoit and NFL analyst Brian Baldinger. So we have a lot coming up, coming up in a little bit. Let's talk about this week, though. Yep. Give me your takeaways from Doug Peterson so far in these two days.
1: Well, I think that from talking to players, and I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of offensive players on Wednesday, they've stressed how how valuable it's been that Doug has kept the schedule just about the same, that it's been the same routine. The bye week wasn't really a bye week. They were in practice the same amount that they were any other week during the season. This week the routine and the schedule has been exactly the same in terms of Outside of media night, of course, they've gone about preparing for the Patriots the same way they'd prepare for a regular season game. And I think that you've talked about this a lot when it comes to Nick Foles, that consistency of routine yeah. is very valuable, particularly to an NFL player. And I think that Doug Peterson has the right approach in doing that well, this Well, and week.
2: so the thing that stuck out to me on Tuesday when he spoke was, Doug said he was not sure if they were going to wear the pads. Um, you were in on Doug today. Did he mention it all or no? I, I didn't hear him asked about whether okay. or not they practice so the pads. So they do practice was- today. Um, I guess we'll find out tomorrow if they wore pads. But um, I think wearing pads is an absolute must. As you said, I think Foles is a creature of habit. I think this team is a creature of habit. They're already so out of their element. I mean, we mentioned what a zoo it is in the mall. Uh, they're you know they're staying in a hotel. They're practicing in a new facility. There's all this hoopla, so I do think that it's very important for Doug to kind of keep his foot on the gas and not let up. Um, we're talking three more practices. They've clearly played better since they've put the pads on. When when they played against Oakland, when they played against Dallas, they weren't wearing pads that week. They're doing a lot of walkthroughs, and I really walk-throughs think walkthroughs
1: are different than not in pads, though. I mean, you they can are. still have a practice and not have not be in pads. Yeah. For it not to be a walk. But a walk-through, so many are literally players. wearing like t-shirts and baseball caps. And, and walking your routes and, and walking, you know, how right. the holes are going to open up in the running game and, and hitting those holes. But so many players have said that they felt that since the pads went back on at
2: practice, things really picked up. So I personally think it will be a mistake if Doug doesn't put the pads on. I really do. I think they should keep it the closest they can to what's been working for him and put the pads on. But we shall see. I mean, tomorrow's on tomorrow's podcast we'll talk about and see what he decided to do. But we also got a chance to talk with the players over the last few days. Um, I know you talked to a bunch of them. What were uh, some of your takeaways? To me, it seems like they really are not letting this get to them so far.
1: Yeah, and that just goes with what I said before, that Doug is, is sticking to the schedule and the routine that they've had all season long and not going outside of that element. Um, the, the other thing that Zach Ertz talked about and Torrey Smith talked about and a couple other players was, you know, you hear Howie Roseman on Monday night at Media Night say that the biggest difference in this organization was changing the philosophy from just getting to be 10 and 6 and making the playoffs to winning 12 or 13 games and getting the bye week. And, of course, that makes the road to getting to the Super Bowl a lot easier because you only have two games, and the Eagles had both of them at home. But those guys on offense said that that extra bye week before the playoffs and the extra bye week before the Super Bowl was really a training camp for Nick Foles, who was hurt with the elbow injury all through the summer. And the first-team receivers and tight ends didn't work with Foles during the summer. And and those two weeks were really – integral and invaluable to their preparation to getting Foles to become the quarterback he was against the vikings yeah
2: no i i agree um my takeaway like i said was just so basically the setup for this thing is so we're at radio row which is on the third floor of the mall the players are staying at the jw marriott which is on the one end so we got to walk to that um you make a left like i think it's an ulta and you're there um they're in this big conference room the players all have their tables it's funny to look and see like what players are getting talked to i mean some players you can't you can't get a question in other players guys like uh will beady and stuff they're wide open and it uh, gotta wonder what it feels like to be one of those players where excuse me it's dust <laughs> you all right over there <laughs> yeah i'm uh, I don't know what it is it's dusty in here but uh the sun is like gleaning down yes, like just it is. blazing on us right now too it's still cold outside but the sun is really coming in um from the roof of the mall but no the players seem extremely relaxed uh you know, I mean, this is the first time for a lot of them. I don't think they've come across as a team that's letting it get to them too much. Um, in terms of talking X's and O's, they're still not really there yet. I mean, today I, I talked to a lot of the defensive backs, tried to talk to them about football. Um, Jalen, Mil- no, Rodney McLeod talked about how quarterback Tom Brady really likes to wait until the last second to snap the ball, survey what's going on, and also that makes it tough to time your blitzes. Um, Jim Schwartz isn't a, isn't a co- coach that blitzes a lot, but it's going to be really tough. To blitz against Tom Brady and the Patriots,
1: yeah, no doubt. And I think that you know when we had, a, we we're going to talk to Andrew Benoit a little bit later in the podcast, and he said the same thing. That what Tom Brady does so well that makes him so tough to beat isn't just how quickly he gets rid of the football, but he gets defenses to show their hand before the snap and disguising your blitzes, disguising your rush concepts, and where you're going to be sending pressure from. Um, it, it's really difficult, but it might be the most important element. To, to playing the Patriots and beating Brady
2: yeah all right so let's get into these uh these interviews and we can talk about them afterwards so like I said full show we got uh I think it's Andy Benoit is up Andy's I'm Andy mispronouncing his name Andy yep. Benoit is up first he was really good about the X's and O's of this game does a great job breaking it down for MMQB then Sidney Jones is up there was a little little bit of a technical difficulty oh my god <coughs> this dust is killing me sorry sorry guys it's the heat from the sun it is really it is. is but um then we got Sidney Jones, bit of a technical difficulty heading into that one, uh, so it just hits right into the interview. Uh, Vince Papali and then Brian Baldinger, one of my favorite Twitter followers, does a great job breaking down the video. So without further ado, before I die of a, uh, a cough cough attack here, here are the interviews.
1: Andy Benoit, welcome on into the No Huddle Show. Big game on Sunday, of course, Super Bowl 52, Eagles-Patriots, and I think one of the things I'm looking forward to the most in this game is the chess match between Bill Belichick and Doug Peterson. And Peterson, yeah. I, I think, authored a pretty worthy Coach of the Year resume. What do you expect to see out of these two on Sunday night?
3: Yeah, and I, I agree. I had a Coach of the Year vote this year, and, I, and Peterson was my number two choice. Um, if, if they had won even one more game or if Foles had been a tad better down the stretch, I'm probably voting him. Sure. And if I'd known what would happen in these playoffs, I'm certainly voting him. He has had a great season, and they have an expansive running game in Philadelphia. Most teams were an outside zone running team, were a gap scheme or man-to-man blocking team, and that's what we have to do. Philly does everything and all in between, and they do misdirection stuff as well, and they get up to the second level with their linemen. They present a lot of variables in the running game, and where Peterson's been great, especially with having to play with Foles, who's a very different style like than Carson Wentz, uh, he's been great at using that running game to leverage into the passing game. And we, the most obvious example are those those run pass options yeah. that everyone's talking about. Uh, but there's been other variables or other examples as well where their running game, their passing game work hand in hand, the reads and the routes get presented two-folds when you do that. It's simplified the game for him. Foles has rewarded him by playing the game of his life in the championship too. So uh, it's been interesting to watch because that team Peterson had was built for Carson Wentz. Those wide receivers, downfield guys, Jeffrey and Smith. Wentz a late in the down pocket passer, but here they are. Playing a different brand of football because of the quarterback.
1: Now, how impressed have you been by Nick Foles? Because I think that if you go back and you pop in the tape from let's just say the Oakland game on Christmas night yeah. or the quarter of football where they wanted to really get some confidence going for him against the Cowboys, they finished with a passer rating of nine point three. Yeah. That third quarter against the Falcons really seemed to flick a switch from confidence, from you know, the offense seemed to evolve a little bit. Maybe at halftime Peterson went in and made some adjustments, but Just how impressed have you been by Nick Foles' ability to turn it on and play some of the best football of his career in the playoffs going into the Super Bowl? I
3: I was impressed by that. Uh, The in-game adjustment was a good one against Atlanta. When you play a fast defense like Atlanta, to go with the run-pass options is great because that inherently slows down the defense. If I'm a linebacker, I have to stop and read something now. I'm not just pinning my ears back and going the way they're built to play there. Um, New England's is a read-and-react defense. They're not a pin-the-ears-back-and-go defense. So it'll be interesting if, if, if Peterson continues with those run-pass options against the Patriots. They won't work as well stylistically. Now, the New England doesn't have as good of a front seven as Atlanta, um, but and, and that's the way you get Foles comfortable is with those run-pass options. But that'll be interesting to see. But what you asked is how impressed have you been I never thought we'd see Nick Foles play the way he did in right. the championship. To do it against the best defense, in my opinion, in the NFL this year, uh, including Jacksonville, I thought Minnesota is the most, the stingiest defense, to do, just to do anything against them was one thing. But the way he did it, um, extending plays within the pocket, a lot of QBs can extend the play by breaking it down and running around and hopefully someone shows open on the side I ran to. Fools stayed in the pocket. He moved with subtlety and nuance, and when you do that, the play does not break down. It just continues, and plays are designed to beat the defense, and a play that continues will beat the defense every time. That's why Wentz is great. Wentz right. is the best I've seen at that this season, uh, except for maybe Tom Brady, who's done it very well.
1: Do you, do you worry that after the injury, because so much of all of that escapability in the pocket and that ability to improvise comes from the mobility, do, do you worry at all big picture about Carson in terms of that affecting his game and him having to evolve after tearing his maybe
3: ACL. a little. I think I think Joe Flacco's a different QB after his injuries sure. um, as a pocket passer. Um, because I think there's two parts of it. The one you talked about escapability. That's that's one. Let's assume that comes back. ACL surgeries anymore. We've seen guys get better after them anymore. Right. The medicine's AP. advanced pretty well. Yeah. Um, not everyone. It's easy to. I'm, you know I'm a sports writer. Easy for me to say <laughs> go play off your ACL injury. But let's say he can physically, so the escapability that can return, it's the confidence of playing within the pocket that does it, because you have to be willing to get hit to do that, and once you have a knee injury, some guys, that cha- subconsciously, that changes your willingness to get hit, and you move with subtlety and nuance, and you keep your eyes downfield when you're in the pocket, you're not looking at the rush, you don't know where the hits are coming from, Wentz has to be able to still play that way to beat Carson Wentz. And if sure. he can, then he's a, he's a perennial MVP candidate.
1: And I think that what we're seeing is, especially with the, the team that Howie Roseman has built, to be able to withstand the injury, not only to Carson Wentz, but Jason Peters and Jordan yeah. Hicks and Darren Sproles. This is a complete team. And, and the depth has really risen to the occasion along both lines. Guys have stepped up. There's been a next-man-up mentality. Mm-hmm. But even now, without Carson Wentz being there, does this kind of underscore the value in having a complete team and not just relying simply on the franchise quarterback? You know, doing all, being the be-all end all. For no a question about Cowboy it. Team? Yes, and I,
3: I never fault a team for relying on their franchise QB. Right. Um, I, I, it was what the old Tom Moore thing. I'm going to clean up the language, but you, Tom Moore. The Patriots' old offensive coordinator, they asked him, hey, why don't you ever practice with the backups? And he, Peyton Manning gets all the reps. And he said, if Manning goes down, we're screwed, and right. we don't practice being screwed. <laughs> so I understand there's so few QBs you, you build around that to win without yours, and you're built around wins. And we can't stress that enough. They went out and signed Alshon Jeffrey, who's a vertical receiver. Torrey Smith, who is a straight-line speedster, that's a vertical north and south passing team built for Wentz's strengths and to remove Wentz and now you have to play east and west because that's what the new quarterback needs to be able to do that that's a lot of that's a great commentary on the rest of the team because they don't have the personnel everywhere to do it but they've found ways still they've had just enough and defensively yes I mean that In the front four, they've done a great job building depth there, too. That's been a big deal.
1: And the running game. I mean, you look at at one, an aggressive downhill runner. Jay Ajayi between the tackles, bruising type of back. And Corey Clement, who's an undrafted free agent, who they found from Glassboro, went to Wisconsin. You have a three-headed monster now in offense that has really done a nice job of running the ball to set up Nick Foles. Yes, in this postseason.
3: and it's a lot of stuff they do. It's, it's an expansive running game. It's the most expansive in football. Most teams do not have expansive running games. Running games tend to be very simple. It's inside zone, outside zone, man blocking, and then maybe some read option kind of stuff, which is usually a variation of zone. And you're one of those things, typically. Philadelphia is all of those things, and they can do it out of different personnel packages. They can do it within the same play, hybrid run concepts. Uh, it's, it's a very impressive, well-designed running game. And it's great evidence that cause they don't have great backs. They have good. I agree with what you said. They, they have a diverse array of backs. It's a good group. Um, none of those guys are dynamic creators in and of themselves. They're guys that need the running plays to work and then they'll capitalize and maybe gain a few extra yards. It's gone that way for them. They put together good line and good backfield.
1: Andy, you're as plugged in as anybody who covers this league. What, what's the biggest difference in your mind? From Howie Roseman and the job that he's done over the last, let's say, 12 months, or even going back to moving up to getting Carson Wentz, versus where he was when Chip Kelly and him had that power struggle, yeah, and he was banished kind of to the business side of the operation. Away from That's
3: a great side. question. Uh, I mean, the biggest difference, obviously, is he's he's got football decisions on his plate now, and he's had a very clear idea of what kind of football team they want to be, and he's invested accordingly. Uh, and what that kind of team is, is we're going to have a dominant four-man rush and the back end. will take care of itself from there. Not that we won't try to give that end talent as well, uh, but it starts up front. And then offensively, they committed to building around Wentz, which is absolutely the right thing to do. You went up and traded for him for a reason, uh, traded the draft for him. So it's there's a, there's an identity to the team. But then I think, Matt, what you've said about how they've been able to pivot when they've had to. They've lost their middle linebacker. Most teams, that's a, that's a big deal. Yeah, they have a
1: pro-caliber well, middle linebacker. At yes,
3: that yeah, and every down middle linebacker. Yeah. And they've had to adjust. They've been able to. That speaks very well to the depth of the team. But then also it goes back to the coaching as well. Those guys, some of it's smoke and mirrors, and it's their job to put together the smoke and mirrors. Yeah,
1: getting back to the game on Sunday, and obviously – it's never easy to beat a team like the Patriots with Brady and Belichick and all of that depth almost across the board, but what's the matchup that you think the Eagles can exploit to win the ball game? Their their defensive line, we
3: can all agree it's better than that offensive line in New England. That's where they have the advantage. So the question is, how do we get to that? How do we make that play out? And really, it's kind of from New England's side, how do we remove that from the equation? And it's a deep drop back passing offense in New England now. They've evolved into that kind of offense. But we've seen them in these playoffs transform back into the spread quick strike offense that we came to know, the Julian Edelman-style offense with Danny Amendola now playing the role of Edelman. Right. And they've been seamless in that transition. Most teams could not do that. They've got Tom Brady, their royal coach. They've got guys that have done that before in that system. So my guess is they're going to want to do that to remove Philly's defensive line from the equation, get the ball out before they can sack us, in other words.
1: Uh, the way they're swarming to quarterbacks, So I mean, you look at Chris Long and Brandon Graham, and it's Fletcher Cox who had a sack. Rodney McLeod had a sack. Nigel Bradham sacked Matt Ryan in the right. divisional playoff game. They're bringing pressure from all angles. It's off the edge. It's up the middle. It's exotic blitz packages. Uh, but Brady's so good against pressure. So good yes. against the, bli- uh, the blitz. Uh, does it even matter? I mean, unless you're going to sack him four times, right? Does it even matter? when you bring extra heat against him.
3: I, I, there's a lot of people that would say, no, what, I would probably be in that class. I don't think you do want to do that because he, he identifies your defense so well before the snap. When you right. see New England... Do all this pre snap motioning, it's getting the man zone indicator for Brady. Are they in man coverage or zone? The defense's reaction to the pre snap movement will reveal if it's man or zone. And then Brady can probably from there figure out what type of man or what type of zone based on where everybody kind of appears to be. Um, So he beats you before the snap. That's why the quick game works. You have to know, you have to win pre snap if you're going to throw the ball immediately after the snap. There's no time to read the defense. Um, So Take away, how do you take away the quick game? You don't blitz them, that plays into the quick game. That that just makes it easier, gives you more space to throw underneath. I think you press them, you put bodies on the receivers, you jam Gronkowski with somebody, if they spread out, we're talking if they go into these spread formations. Um, You do that, you maybe even sacrifice a little bit of your pass rush to do that, because the only way your pass rush can become a factor if the ball's designed to get out quickly is if he has to hold the ball, which is why you jam him and change the timing of the receivers. So that's where it will come down to, in my opinion, is what does Philadelphia's back seven do to slow down and disrupt the timing of New England's passing game. And if they can disrupt it, Denver did that really well in the 2015 sure. championship. Yep. And we saw Denver hit Tom Brady 21 times in that game. That if they and did
1: a nice job of it in the first half last year in the Super Bowl, and then yeah. went away from it in the second yes, half. If
3: you So if you can disrupt the timing of the passing game and force Brady to hold the ball, and Brady, when he's forced to hold the ball on someone else's timing and schedule out of those spread formations, He can get a little bit jittery at times. We're picking mitts now. But uh, he is, uh, in his pocket movements superb. But if he gets frustrated with his old line you can get him playing a little fast mentally, and then he's not quite the same Tom Brady. And that's your little sliver of a window to have a chance against him.
1: Andy, last one before I let you go, and I know we're only halfway through the week, and there's still a lot that can go down between now and Sunday. But where are you leaning? How does this thing play out? Where are you leaning in terms of a pick, and, and how this thing? I still like New England. S. I SI had me make me
3: pick a score to put on the cover so he can yeah. give people an answer and make right. them buy the magazine. Uh, Twenty. Sort of a lot of
1: controversy in Philadelphia, by the way. Yeah, you had I'm a sure that oh, cover there. Oh, was it? Yeah. Well, oh, I'm sorry. That's right. It has a Nick Foles
3: cover. Um, uh, I had 27-16 Patriots, so I think it's going to be that kind of flow of game. I think points sure. will be a little bit hard earned. Um, New England can beat you in a lot more ways than Philadelphia can beat you.
1: Andy, appreciate the time, and uh, we'll see you at the game on Sunday. All right, thank you. Thanks.
2: So now that you're a few days removed from it, what was uh, media night like for you?
4: Um, it was a it was a cool experience. Um, it was kind of funner than I, what I expected. I didn't expect it to be, you know, so interactive and um, you know, fun. I, I would say. And it was, it was a lot of stuff going on, a lot of motion, interview here, or there, can I get you, can I get you. It was, a, it was a fun process, so I enjoyed it.
2: When you were at Washington, you guys went to the uh, college playoff. Um, now that you've been here a few days, how does that compare? I mean, that's a pretty big event within itself, but now you're at the Super Bowl.
4: I mean, we're just getting started here, but I feel like it's the same type of, same type of environment. Um, Obviously this is the biggest sporting event in, in America. I think um, college playoffs has some similarity of you know the magnitude of that game, final four teams left. So that's, that's pretty big in itself and I feel like they try to make it pretty similar because it's a big deal.
2: So Carson Wentz said on Monday night that this can be a bit of a bittersweet feeling for him being at this game. Um, We've talked throughout the season about how badly you want to get out there and play consistently. Is it kind of bittersweet being here for you, or how is it? What are your emotions through something like this?
4: Definitely. It is bittersweet. Obviously, you know, as a player, you want to get on the field and, and play and show what you can do, but it's, it's just not my time. My time will, will be in the future. Um, obviously, for him, he, he helped us, you know, get get to this point, and obviously we wish he would be playing, but, you know, we got we – got, guys who can step up and, and, you know, just carry that role with, with no, with no like, drawback or, you know, just step in and, you know, produce just as well. Um, but obviously, you know, we wish we could be playing and stuff like that. So that's, that's the thing in itself.
2: So I know during the season, I probably tried to ask you every week how you were feeling when uh, you were still rehabbing. But I know you're a big guy on social media. I can't tell you how many times people tweeted at me asking about you. Do you ever go through your mentions? Like, is, was it just all season people asking you, like, Sydney? when are you going to play? When are you going to play? How are you feeling? Like, no matter what you posted?
4: Yeah, it got it got kind of annoying at that, like, at a certain point in time. Like, because I didn't know when I was going to play. Right. And people just kept asking. And if I knew, like... I wasn't going to be the first one to tell it. So, like, and I would probably get in trouble if I did know and I did tell. So I was I was never going to, you know, it was never going to come out of my mouth first. It came out of uh, Coach Peterson's mouth that I was going to get activated and play this year. So it was never going to come out of my mouth. But those things, they just kept, you know, asking, asking, asking. Curious fans, um, I got to love it. But, um, yeah, it did get kind of like uh, a little bit. Now that you're
2: removed from it, you're fully healthy. Um, congratulations, by the way. I'm sure it was. Yeah. Now that you're removed from the situation, what do you think you learned about yourself over this past year and going through that injury
4: and all that? Um, just handling adversity. Um, that was the, the main thing. That was the biggest thing. Everybody faces adversity at some point in their life. Um, fortunately, mine was like right now, or it was in the past, but it happened um, last year. And just you know, fi- find a way to get through that. Find a way to you know change your mindset and and, and think of, think of it in a different light. Think of it as a, as a positive light. Find find good find good from the negative. Um, there's always lessons to be learned and and, and stuff like that. And maybe maybe it's supposed to be like this. Maybe I was supposed to you know be in the Super Bowl. This is the best circumstance that could have happened for me. And just, you know, I'm grateful for that.
2: Do you ever think about the fact that next year, when the season comes along, you will have been through it all? You'll know what training camp is like, you'll know what the season's like, the schedule. You'll have been through literally Super Bowl media. Is it comforting to know that next year it'll just be about playing football and you'll know the adjustments of being in the NFL?
4: Definitely, um, I always hear year two is always easier because you know you know what to expect. Um, even your rookie year, it's a, it's a long year. So from, you know, last game of the season, college career, um, training for the for the combine, and then the whole season and, and being with your new, your new team, um, so that can be a that can be a grind in itself. But here too, you get to reflect on it, um, have an off season, relax, and then get that actual off season training in, not just combine training in, because I feel like there's a big difference in that mm-hmm. itself. So just. A second year I feel like it's gonna be uh, so much easier. body's gonna be like fully, 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 fully primed um, and it's, I feel like it'll be way easier in my second year.
2: So it seems like, at least at when when, times I've spent in the locker room, the cornerbacks are A, the tightest on the team, and B, seem to have the most fun. Like, you guys are always together. Not just because your lockers are together. You seem like you hang out. You're always, like, on Instagram and Snapchat, stuff like that together. How close are you guys, and how much of a blessing has that been for you to, like, kind of integrate yourself into the NFL?
4: It's it's honestly, like, the biggest blessing I, ever. Um, so in college, I can compare this group to that group, and that's I feel like that's very... Very rare in the NFL. Um, I talked to you know my other boys in the in the league, and I'm I'm pretty sure it's, it's not like that. Um, we have a we have a real brotherhood here. I feel like that's what makes us so good. We're we're tight. We're tight on the field, tight off the field. Um, we try to do as much as possible together, um, just to build that bond. And, I feel like it it, trans, it translates to on the field, you know, trusting one another, um, just having each other's back. And if you if you care about somebody, man, you, you play for them, you play for them on the field, and, and it, it translates um, even throughout our whole defense. You know, we, we try to stay tight as a, as a whole defense as well, um, not just not just the DBs, but obviously the DBs. I feel like are, are the tightest in their group on the team. So, who's the best dancer among the cornerbacks? Dar, Dar's good. Uh, Rodney's, Rodney's eye. I think I'm pretty decent, too.
2: Yeah, I feel like you're the best there. So, from a football perspective, you've been back to playing now for, I think, like six, almost two months. Something like that, right? Like December you started, so... How's it? Uh, how's it feel now that you've been back on the field for that long? How do you feel you are from where you you know that first day you put the helmet on to, to now?
4: Um, it's it's definitely it's definitely been a jump um, just from a technical standpoint. Um, first first day, first day, first day, first day, second day, third day. I really hadn't done too much like press, so like that that feeling was kind of like it wasn't new. But you know, you just gotta rep something so much, and then you have it. But just jumping back out there into the like actual NFL, not having done, having had any type of press reps in like months, almost a year, it was it was crazy. But you know, I'm I'm good now. I feel like I'm back to myself. My, cause I love I love to press, so I'm good. I'm good with that now. But that was that was the biggest thing. Um, you know, just getting the little things down. Um, the technical things down on the field while you're, while you're playing. Big things coming
2: in 2018? Definitely. Definitely. All right, thanks so much, man.
1: Oh, we're here with Vince Papali on the No Huddle Show. Vince, of course, uh, the star and the inspiration of the movie Invincible with Mark Wahlberg, the underdog story of all underdog stories. And here we are, Super Bowl week, Vince, with the underdog Eagles getting set to take on Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and the Patriots. Did you ever think this would happen as this year (laughs) played out?
5: Well, it's pretty appropriate that I'm here, and I'm not only just here because the Philadelphia Eagles are playing, I'm here with Dennis Franks. Uh, my partner in crime, and also teammate, roommate we were playing with the Eagles. And, uh, you know, we were both the ultimate underdogs and eventually got that shot. And now here you look at it, and after that first game against Atlanta, and then the next game, of course, last week against the Vikings, I think the way the Eagles looked at it, they have them right where they wanted them to be, the favored ones. There's no pressure. Yep. The great line from replacements is, when you, uh, when you have nothing to lose, you're dangerous. And uh, last week they showed they were really dangerous. So, um, it's appropriate. It's great uh it's going to be fun and we're going to shock the world make the impossible possible and,
1: and, and of course you're really close with doug peterson you've known yeah. him for a very long yes. time um just take me through how you've seen him change this year because i think that the first impression of him as a head coach from fans last year is certainly a lot different. And I think that the way he's carried himself both in press conferences, his aggressiveness on game day, that seems like it's evolved this year. What's the biggest difference with Doug Peterson in 2017 than what you saw from him last year? Well,
5: Matt, I think the biggest change I've seen is what you pretty much just alluded to, and that's how he's handling the press and his comfortability with the press. You know, he's getting some great advice from inside. He's not looking at the press as an adversary, right? He's sort of looking at the press as an asset. and in the beginning, there was all kinds of talk, you know, about Jim Schwartz and, you know, he's going to be trying to talk, you know, all the swagger and, right. and, and all that. And he didn't let it bother him because he's confident and he knows what he is and he and he believes in what he is. And he also but the most important thing is, is I think, is how he's gained the trust of the players. You know, when you have a rookie like Dennis and I would first say when Dick Ramil came in, you know, hey, this is young guy coming in from UCLA. Now you got Doug coming in, you know, this young buck that was with Andy. I mean, can he really get it done? and uh, last year uh, in in a lot of fans eyes not my eyes because i know him so well sure. but in the fans eyes um you know could he get it done and some of the players i don't know if there was doubt but now they've got the guys in that he wanted in you know and, and how he's done a great job bringing this team together and he's got the talent and he's got everybody believing and the thing I think the key word, and it's one of the key words in the locker room. If you go into Eagles' locker room, Matt, it's trust, yep. and uh, there's that trust on both sides of the fo- both and sides I, of the ball. And I
1: think it's been pretty remarkable to watch him build an offense now around Nick Foles. So yeah. he's getting a lot of credit for these run-pass options that you know Foles was comfortable with when Chip Kelly was here. But it seems like it's it's blown the whole playbook open. And you played wide receiver. I mean, you look at some of those those play calls, the deep route to Alshon Jeffrey on the touchdown last week, the flea flicker up twenty-four to seven. Those are aggressive moves in the biggest games, and I don't think that he's going to wilt under the pressure of the Super Bowl and against Belichick on, on Sunday. Yeah,
5: but well, Dennis and I were sort of wondering because he thinks the way to, d- to win this game is to grind them down. You know, the the punching and just doing the body punches the whole time, the offensive line, the grinders, the Spartans are the ones going to win the game. Me, uh, I'm, I'm thinking because he's so aggressive, he's going to come up with something crazy on that first play. I don't know. I mean, how great was it just uh, last week to see the Delaware wing T with Aguilar going around yeah. from the inside? You know, so he's he's not afraid to look at other people's Ran playbook. Ran that same
1: play against uh, Atlanta the week yeah, before. It, yeah, too. I mean, yeah. that's there. Getting the ball in Aguilar's hands in space has been pretty key. But um, j- just real quick, because I know you know him so well, is there a moment this year that, that jumps out at you that maybe you thought, wow, this is going to be special, or, or he's figured this out? Or, or is there something that you might have seen out of him
5: Well, you know what I think it was? I think it was when Dennis and I and a a bunch of our friends were down in Charlotte, and they won that Charlotte game. And and to me, that was one of the most critical wins of the season, to come through with that, because uh, that was going to be the beginning of a really tough road trip. And to come out of the West Coast, uh, as he did, and, and then, of course, losing Carson, um, I, I think one of the key gains was certainly that, and also the 61-yarder, you know, with Elliott against the Skins. Yeah. Who has a new quarterback, by the way? Yes, they so, do. So, uh, you know, and Alex Smith. But um, I think those two are the, are the two of the key wins. And, hey, look, you know, Matt and, and Dennis and I both say that, and that's why we have the book The Last Last Vision of yep. Victory. You know, it's all believing in yourself. You know, it's surrounding yourself with a good team, and that's what's so exciting.
1: And, and Doug talked about this last week, that the Eagles players have seemed to – take on his personality and take on the persona of the head coach. You guys with Dick meal I mean, you, you went through that same thing. A- yeah. and just For the fans out there who are never going to be in an NFL locker room or never going to get to know NFL players, what is it about a head coach that inspires people to take their play to the next level or, or to come together as that, that community that seemed to be bonding those 80s teams with you and this team right now?
5: Well, confidence, preparation, trust, like I just said. Yep. Uh, the, the fact that they know that this guy has their back you know, whatever, if there was anything coming out of the locker room and never got farther than the locker room. That uh, certainly doesn't hurt the fact that he was a former player. Uh, but, you know, what's really great about Doug and I find about him is when I see a lot of pictures, he's a teacher, right. you know. Like and you? Uh, yeah. yeah <laughs> I, and, you know, he coached high school football like me, you yep. know, and he, and he was a high school coach. And he's just some, done some wonderful, wonderful things and just real proud of him and seeing how he's developed this year.
1: All right, Vince. Tell me about the book. Tell me where people can get it, and uh, let, let, let's let's sell some books here.
5: All right. Can I uh, take Can I take the mic and put it over here to Dennis? I'm we gonna get here's get to Dennis, Dennis, Dennis Franks. Rex. Come on, Dennis. It's all yours, baby. Nobody <laughs> does it better than you.
6: Thanks, Vince. It's great to be with you today. Absolutely. Uh, it's exciting to be here at the Super Bowl, but uh, it's exciting for us taking forty years of friendship and experiences both going into the sport and coming out and becoming a successful uh, businessman and entrepreneur as both Vince and I have become. Uh, We put a lot of of, of thought in this. We tell the stories, but we also came up with a code. It's called the Victor's Code. And it's a combination of commonalities that we both experienced in our lives as we started to grow with our companies. And, And so with this point, the code has been tested. It's been time-tested and lived, but it's also a Hall of Fame in here where Coach Dick Vermeil. Talks about it, Jim Harbaugh, yep. the head coach of of uh, the, the Michigan Wolverines, Mario Hemingway, uh, Heather Mitz Feely, who's, who's, who? uh, yeah, who's who, yeah, and they take the code and how it helped them with their last laugh because everybody deserves a last laugh in their their time, their success, their dreams becoming a vision, and they're there. And it's available now at shop.com. Now it doesn't nationally release till March 5th, okay. But shop.com is where you can get it. Just All put in uh, last laugh, and you'll. You'll find it. Doug
1: Peterson or any of the Eagles players uh, have a copy of this yet? (laughs) Well, they're going to get it. (laughs) There you go. There you go. All right, Dennis, Vince, uh, appreciate the time. and Enjoy the rest of your Super Bowl week here in Minnesota. Thank you. (laughs)
2: All right, we are here with Brian Baldinger. You obviously follow him on Twitter, because if you're not, I don't know what you're doing. He has the best (laughs) breakdowns of the plays on Twitter. Honestly, one of my favorite things to do on Monday after the game. I learned something, and I watch every snap of this team multiple times. So, Brian, thanks so much for taking time to come on the podcast.
0: Well, it's good to join you guys, man. Thanks, Matt. You know, we go way back here. So, nice to join uh, my friends from Philadelphia.
2: Yeah, a lot of Philly media here this week. It's like there should a, be. Yeah, there should
0: be. I mean, this is a great team to cover.
2: Yeah, it really is. You know is. I
0: mean? Because really, if you cover this team, you realize it's exactly that. It's a team. It is. That yeah. there hasn't been one moment, and Matt, you're over there all the time, but there hasn't been a moment this year where it was a me-me moment mm-hmm. by any player no. or coach. And so they have shared in this thing. They have done it together as a group. There is no selfish players. It's truly a team. And all you need to know is that when they lost the league's MVP and Carson Wentz, this team didn't fade. Yeah. They just actually rallied and got stronger.
2: So, a lot of things to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about Wentz, Doug, Foles, and all that, but you just kind of said it. I mean, you know, you've been around the NFL basically your entire life. H- how surprised are you how good this team ended up being?
0: Surprised. Yeah. Surprised. I mean, I was with a lot of the guys that are in the front office all summer long, talking, just talking football, some of the moves they made, some of the moves that they were going to make, Yeah. Garrett Blunt, and some of the deals they end up doing. You know, once the season really got kicked off, but I knew that they would be good in the trenches. I didn't know that it would come together this quick. I didn't know Mike Groh was going to have the impact that he had.
2: Huge impact. Huge impact.
0: And so I didn't know that Alshon was going to stay healthy and play as well as he did all year because he hadn't been like that. So there was a lot of unknowns. I didn't know the secondary was going to come together and play as well, but I knew they would be good. I just didn't think they would be this good. Do you
2: view Alshon as like a number one type dominant receiver?
0: Well, not really. I mean, not in the sense that he's DeAndre Hopkins. You're going to throw to him 20 times. Right. He's, he's not that type of player. But because he doesn't have elite speed, but he's a big body that, you know, can win on slot, slot, slot you know, slant routes and yeah. in the red zone. There's a place for Alshon, and seems he's like a great, you have he's a great get, guy. Seems like you have a nah, scheme to not get him really open. A, it's not really a scheme. I mean, RPOs, okay. there's a place. If the off he fits in the offense.
2: Yeah. So what about Nelson Aguilar? I mean, you know, obviously last year, you're in Philly all the time. Uh, you know what his reputation was. Fans were not the biggest. Uh, they weren't fans of him. How, how good has he been this year in your eyes? I mean, what's been the main change?
0: Well, confidence. Yeah. You know, I mean, they moved him to the slot. Al, you know, Mike Rowe is a great coach, and so Mike's been a big difference for him. Um, they gave him a fresh start. You know, they didn't run him out of town. They could have easily have done, given up on him. They didn't do that. So, and then they, they, they basically gave him the slot position when they chaded Jordan Matthews away. Yeah. So when they chaded Jordan away, they they're basically were saying, you're our slot receiver. And we're, a three, we're an 11-personnel, three-receiver team. So you're going to get a lot of opportunities. So, and then I think, really, the third play of the game, of the season, you know, when there's a scramble drill and 51 yards later is in the end zone against the Redskins, you know, I think he he realized that there was a place for him.
2: Yeah. So I, when Wentz was still healthy, I loved watching your breakdowns of him. You can really see in your breakdowns how much he does before the snap and just the little things he does, like the way he just moves in the pocket. What were you most impressed with Wentz this season in terms of the jump he took from last season to now?
0: Well, his ability to keep his eyes down the field. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not easy to do no. when people are diving at your legs and the pocket's collapsing and. Blitzers are being thrown at you that you hadn't seen before, all those things. But the ability to keep his eyes down the field and always feel like the play is available. And so that's just – it's hard for any rookie quarterback. He's got a built-in GPS system in his head. Yeah. So all those factors combined.
2: Are you worried at all about the fact that – I mean, you said it, and I, me and Matt talk about it every week on the podcast. What he does best is keep his eyes down the field, and it's so hard to do. Now that he has the knee injury, are you concerned at all that he, he might not be the same guy when he comes back?
0: Well, I'm actually. I'd be more worried that he is the same guy because he can't take as many liberties to just run and keep plays alive. He's got There's got to be a, a time when the play's over yeah. and get to the next play. I mean, for a year. I mean, I've watched Philip Rivers and Eli Manning. I've watched these guys just throw the ball on the ground and just dump the play and go to second down or third down or punt. Yeah. And so I'd be more worried if he comes back the same guy, thinking he can be that guy who was at North Dakota State and just. Run over people
2: and take people on. I found that since Wentz went down, Doug was getting uh, credit earlier in the year, but really since Wentz went down is when you really started to see Doug get a lot of credit because they kept winning. I mean, you know, beating the Falcons, beating the Vikings. You watch every play multiple times. You break it down. How impressed are the job? How impressed are you with the job Doug is, Doug has done?
0: Well, I'm real impressed. <laughs> I mean, first of all. The team was always prepared to play. They never yeah. came out just flat and weren't ready. That never happened. Even in Kansas City, that team was re- the team was in that game all the way through the fourth quarter. That, I mean, they were ready to play. So that's the first measure. Secondly, the players they got his back. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, there is a fine line between being emotional, being ready, being prepared. But he's very tactical. He's very calculated. He has the pulse of the team. Yeah. He has been aggressive when he needed to be aggressive. Uh, he said he was going to be, and he was. And that's not easy to do being the head coach, the play caller, and the offense coordinator. And he's all those things.
2: So you said it earlier how important the line play is. Let's talk about that for this Super Bowl because I've written it all week. I'm sure you've talked about it. The way to get to Brady, if you're going to beat him, is rattle him up the middle with the pressure. So where do you see the matchup in terms of the Eagles' defensive line versus the Patriots' offensive line?
0: Well, I mean, look, if Fletcher Cox can – You know, if he can, you know, just rush Dave Andrews, Shaq Mason, those guys up front, you know, the difficulty that Tom Brady has or any good quarterback has is if they can't step up, you know. And Brady can handle pressure off the edge. He can handle Brandon Graham off the edge or Yvonne Miller off the edge. But when that pocket collapses in front of him, that's when he'll struggle. Now, he's got a great mind. He's got 17-year playbook in front of him he can get to a quick game better than anybody in this league. So is he going to hold it more than two seconds for that to happen?
2: Right. So a player you talk a lot about and tweet a lot about on Twitter is Brandon Brooks. Um, Eagles fans will hear about him a lot, and when you're a guard, that's maybe the best thing possible. I think he's been amazing this year in terms of his run blocking. How good is Eagles' offensive line? I mean, some people have said they're the best in the NFL, and especially with the level Jason Kelsey's playing. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I think they're the best. Yeah.
0: I mean, Minnesota Vikings were a good litmus test. They went up against the league's best defense, the best third-down defense, a historically good defense, and they they just steamrolled them, yeah. you know. And so they're protected really well. Their p- schemes are really sound on the flea flicker, you know, to have Selleck and Aguilar in the protection. Um, to see Big V's development is a credit really to Jeff Stoutland. Yeah. But I think the best offense line in of football right now, I mean – to go against Aaron Donald and the Rams to win that game, to go against the Vikings, to go against the speed of the Falcons. They've taken all all comers, and they've played really, really well.
2: And the Patriots really don't have an amazing pass rush. I mean, they have a solid defensive line, but not an amazing pass rush. So I think if the Eagles offensive line can just play the level they have been, Foles should have time. Now, Foles is a guy that when he first started this year was struggling with a lot of things, accuracy, decision-making. How have you seen him develop from, I mean, he had a good game against the Giants, but the Raiders. He was bad, limited action against the Cowboys. And really against the Falcons wasn't that great until the second half. How have you seen him develop over the last six quarters? Well, you got
0: to remember when he went in there in the fourth quarter against the Rams, he hadn't thrown an NFL pass in the regular season or preseason since November 6th yeah. of 2016. He went 13 and a half months without throwing a pass. So to think that somebody is just gonna come in and be Carson Wentz, it's tough, to, it's tough to ask. So I think he needed time. I think he needed time to really understand the RPOs, understand the reads, the, um, really the flow of that play. He's thrown 14 of his 49 completions in the postseason that have been behind the line of scrimmage. So they've given him some easy completions, but big yards. So I think they've really helped build the offense around his skills.
2: How confident do you think Eagle fans should be in fulls heading into the Super Bowl
0: I think they should be confident I mean yeah. I think there's no reason not to be I I mean I know what the other team is and what they have accomplished but every year's a different year yeah um, if they if the Eagles are up 10 points in the fourth quarter they're not going to collapse the way Jacksonville did they're not going to collapse the way the Atlanta Falcons did they're, they're going to stay aggressive.
2: what are some keys you think to uh, the Eagles pulling up this pulling off this upset? Where's what? Some keys to the Eagles pulling well, off this upset. I
0: think, you know, obviously they're, they're built around the strength of their defensive line. Mm-hmm. So they have to play really, really well. Uh, they have been playing well. So they have to keep that up. Um, they got to tackle really well because they're going to get a lot, of, a lot of quick arrow routes and pivot routes in space to Amendola and Hogan and James White and the whole group. And you got to tackle well in space. So yeah. that's going to be really key. Um, field position is such a big battle. Um, the Patriots won a field position battle um, you know, against the Jacksonville Jaguars, so pay close attention to that. A lot of hidden yards. Um, New England will make the Eagles return kicks. So how do they return it? Are they getting the ball to the 25, or are they being trapped at the 15?
2: So this is every guest we've had on. It's one of the toughest games, I think, to call all season with the Eagles versus Patriots because the Eagles have all the mojo going, but beating Tom Brady just isn't easy. Who are you picking in this one?
0: Well, I think the Eagles are a better team yeah. than Tom Brady's team. I I have all I have more respect for Tom Brady than anybody in this world. He's my single favorite player in the league. Um I love everything about that guy and how he goes about his business, but the Eagles are a better team. So, to me it's not it has not been a difficult decision. I've picked the Eagles from the very beginning.
2: Wow. The comfortable win or you think it'll be a close one?
0: Well, all the Patriots have played seven of these with Tom Brady, and all of them have been within a touchdown yeah. or less. And So I think it will be within a touchdown or less.
2: Cool. All right, and one more question I have to ask before I let you go. We talked about it, but the process of breaking those plays down on Twitter, how much do you love doing that, and like, how long does it take you? What's kind of the process? What made you start wanting to do it?
0: Well, um, it's my single favorite thing to do Yeah. in all of my jobs I have out there right now. So sometimes it makes me mad i got NFL Network duties to do or whatever, <laughs> And I gotta wait till get to it, um, but it's want to say I, I felt like there was a big void, a real disconnect between fans, real fans, and what was being said and reported and analyzed, and I just thought there was a big void for it. I just wanted to try to fill the void.
2: Yeah. Well, look, we all—I know everyone listening on this podcast. I'm I'm sure they follow you, and I'm sure we really appreciate it. I know I do. I learn something every time I watch. So, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thanks to uh, Sydney, Brian, Andy, and Vince for joining us. Uh, you know, what were your main takeaways from uh, that? I mean, what was something? We talked to them all this
1: morning. Yeah. So what
2: was one of your main takeaways from all that? Yeah, I
1: think hearing Vince Papali kind of talk about how Doug Peterson has evolved both as, both as a person and a coach and gotten more confident as the season is going along, that was pretty big. And uh, for everybody out there who doesn't realize, Vince Papali and Doug Peterson are really close friends. They yeah. play golf together. Vince's wife sold the Petersons their house, so they, they know each other really well. So just getting that inside perspective of what this season has meant to Doug Peterson and how he's kind of, you know, gotten the team to take on his persona, I thought was pretty revealing.
2: Yeah, and to me, Brian Baldinger talking about the Eagles offensive line, because we've talked all week about how the Eagles need to attack the Patriots offensive line, how they're able to do so. But a big part of this is gonna be protecting Foles as well. And for Brian Baldinger, a guy that not only watches every game each week, breaks it down I mean there might not be a media analyst here obviously besides me and you that know more about football that knows more about football and knows more about the X's and O's and for him to say the Eagles might have the best offensive line in the league that's huge going into Sunday because Foles is going to need time I mean you you know he's not Carson Wentz he's not going to create you don't want him to be that guy so Foles absolutely needs time and to hear that I think should be very encouraging uh, for Eagles fans and then Sidney Jones um a guy that, you know, he said, he kind of echoed what Wentz has said. It's a bittersweet experience, and, you know, some people might take that the wrong way. Oh, you're supposed to root for your team no matter what. Of course he's rooting for his team. Of course Carson's rooting for his team. But how could you not want to be out there? It's bittersweet for the guys that are healthy as well, that are going to be inactive. So um, I, I think he's going to be big 2018 from him. I think he might be the most talented cornerback on the roster, and it's just amazing to think that we've gone from talking in training camp about how the cornerback position might keep them out of the playoffs, might keep them from a winning record. And now here we are at Radio Row, at Super Bowl 52, Eagles getting ready to play the Patriots, and the cornerback position is incredibly deep.
1: It really is. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Carson's rehab takes shape throughout the course of the next several months, whether he's ready for week one. And, you know, as Baldinger said, we've talked about this, and I've made the point that, He can't put himself in harm's way as often as he did before because, as Chip Kelly, your old friend, used to say, Yeah, my buddy. uh, The best ability is availability. And if the Eagles are going to have Carson Wentz available for 16 games and a playoff run and maybe even a Super Bowl into the future, you're going to have to limit those unnecessary hits and limit the the risky situations you put yourself in. Yeah,
2: so we have an Eagles chant going on here down to our left. Uh, So Eagles fans are officially starting to take over Minnesota. Um, We will be back tomorrow with another new episode, more guests. And I'm looking forward to this Friday preview pod because as much as I'm enjoying talking to the guests, I'm really looking forward to breaking this down with you and really going through the game. It should be a lot of fun. It will be. So, Matt, I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Once again, thank you, everybody, for the 500 reviews. 504, I should say. It's only up from here. Really appreciate it. Excited to be going through the Super Bowl week with you guys, both on NJ.com, on Twitter, and in this podcast. Let's get to 550. Let's do it. All right, talk to you guys later.